Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, this week on The Righteous Remnant, we are going to talk about spiritual gifts. This is something that um, you know I feel like God has been putting on my heart more and more um, over the past couple days. I've been feeling, um, I've been watching a lot of stuff on YouTube, um, in particular about how Bethel um, has been you know, accused of a number of things that I want to get into a little bit. Um, but I want to lay my perspective out right at the beginning here. And um, that's that the body of Christ, the church, desperately needs spiritual gifts. We really, really need them. Authentic spiritual gifts. Okay? And um, I think that, you know, this is one of those topics that is so difficult for many people. And for a number of reasons. Number one, a lot of people have been hurt by either improper use of spiritual gifts or... um, you know, they had hope for a healing or something like that that never came, and they were told that they didn't have enough faith. I mean, there's so much, like, bad teaching. There's so much control. There's so many things that cause people um, to really become cynical and jaded towards the spiritual gifts. And, you know, I've discipled an, an, a number of people, and, yeah, man, a lot of the stories I've heard are so heartbreaking, are so heartbreaking. And, um, and I understand why people can feel like the gifts are just more trouble than they're worth. I totally understand that. And um, and I just want to say, you know, right up front, um, there's a reason why Paul says, you know, do not despise prophecies, right? There's a reason why um, the scriptures warn us to forgive, because the danger is if, if we don't, yeah, we can allow these negative experiences to really um, sour us on something that's so important. And the truth, and, and that's true about so many different things, right? I know so many people that are so bitter against the church, um, and they they really dislike the church. And that's, you know, the church is a lot of people. <laughs> it's, it's generally one or two people, you know, that did something, you know, very hurtful towards them, or they were, or they were at least hurt by. Um, but when you don't, you know, forgive and fully heal that naturally turns into false judgment okay against a, an entire group of people and i just want to say there's a lot of people that have um wounds and hurts in this area and i just want to say up front i totally understand because i've seen a lot of these things i've seen a lot of these things i understand why people get hurt um i've hurt people you know um with some of my teaching you know and obviously i never want to do that but it's going to happen you know, Jesus hurt people. People became really offended towards him. And um, unfortunately, you know, I'm not Jesus. So I can't know to what degree it was because I didn't teach something the right way or I didn't teach something that was right or um, people took it in the wrong way or just were offended by, you know, the Lord's desires and the Lord's will and the Lord's word. All of those things are possible. So this is part of the problem. We're living in a dark world where we don't, we don't fully know the truth. And so I just want to speak mercy and grace for people who've been hurt in this area. Um, But I do want to make my case here because I believe this is actually such an important area for the church. It's so important for us. Um, And I'll give a number of reasons. Number one, um, the Bible says so. The Bible says so. I think we always have to go back to the scriptures and esteem 
the scriptures as our ultimate and final authority on all of this stuff, okay? Um, the clearest passage is 1 Corinthians 12, um, 13, 14, okay? I believe that Paul is actually very clear about this stuff in these chapters. Um, obviously, there's a number of other places where we could go to, but this is the most clear, okay? Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how the Spirit gives um, different gifts to different people. Okay, he's talking about the spiritual gifts, and he lists some of them, right? Like prophecy, tongues, faith, um, these types of things, okay? And um, and then he says that all of them are important for the entire body. And what we can't do is we can't look at somebody who's gifted differently than us, a different part of the body, and say, I don't need you, Okay. We can't look at somebody who's gifted differently than us and say, I don't need you. Why? Because we all need one another. God has designed the body in such a way that it it is missing something extremely important. If even only one of the parts of the body, one of the gifts is not esteemed, then we're missing something extremely important, right? Like, can you imagine, you know, not honoring the ears, you know, if, if, of your body? And imagine what you'd be missing out on, right? We're not honoring the hands, like, what would you be missing out on? And every every part's important. They all play a vital function. And I'd like to suggest that it is really the lack of unity in the body. Um, this is what I talked about, you know, in previous episodes. It's the lack of unity in the body that has resulted in the church being so impotent and so weakened. And um, the real answer for the body of Christ is to start to esteem and honor the other parts of the body. Okay? And this is very difficult to do, but the context of what Paul's talking about is spiritual gifts. He's talking about how it's very important that we esteem others who are gifted in different ways than we are. And um, if we say that we don't need prophecy anymore, or if we say that we don't need tongues or interpretation or any of these gifts, if we don't feel like we need them, that is what the Bible is calling despising, okay? Despising doesn't mean that you have, you know, some kind of great hatred in your heart, although that would qualify also. <laughs> but really, what dis- when Scripture talks about that if you despise something, it means you're not treating it with the esteem that you should treat it with, okay? So, for example, when Esau despised his birthright, it wasn't that he had some kind of hatred for his birthright and wanted to get rid of it. It was that he didn't treat it as the important blessing that it really was. And this really bothered God, all right? And it's the same thing. Um, it's it's actually even more so with the gifts of the Spirit because the gifts of the Spirit are actually gifts from the Lord. They're given with affection as signs of his love, right? So when we treat them like they're unimportant or like we don't need them, right? And just being real, a lot of Christians do that where it's like, Oh, you know, I'm not sure about them, but I I don't think I really need them or, you know, I've just heard so many bad things or, you know, like when we treat it even with suspicion in that sense, that is a, that is a type of despising because we're not actually obeying what the Bible is explicitly telling us. And Paul makes it really clear in chapter 14, right? Verse one, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And then he's going to point out one in particular prophecy, okay, especially prophecy, all right? And this is like an explicit command, and he says, do not forbid tongues, right? Do not forbid 
tongues. Do not despise prophecies. Like there's these multiple explicit commands about doing what many, many churches and ministries in America do today. Okay? Um, now I understand for many of, of those churches, there is an argument, okay? And this is called cessationism. All right, cessationism is the argument that the gifts have ceased, all right? They no longer function in the church in the way that they did in the early church. And and usually the most popular theory is that, you know, um, the Bible, right? Once the Bible was completed, we no longer needed the gifts of spirit. And the purpose of the gifts was really to establish the Bible, the authority of Scripture, and then after that, <clears throat> we don't need them anymore. And um, I, I just want to say, there is nothing in the Bible that says that. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Okay, that is, you know, kind of a, a rational, a way of rationalizing why we don't see the gifts in the same ways that we saw. We see them in the early pages of Scripture. Okay, it's a way of rationalizing it. And I, and I want to say, I think it's a very bad way of rationalizing it. And because listen to this like if the cessationists are wrong if they're wrong then what they are doing is they are teaching against the explicit commands of scripture okay they're teaching people to rebel against these explicit commands i just want to say like this is a serious error if they're wrong okay and i think there's a very strong argument against cessationism Okay, and it actually is in the very chapter that cessationists used to be the most popular chapter that cessationists would use to um, argue f for why the gifts have ceased, and that's First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Okay, and if you're familiar with this chapter, you know this is where Paul is talking about love. All right, it's sandwiched, you know, in between twelve and fourteen, which are about spiritual gifts, and thirteen is still about spiritual gifts. It's just Paul is emphasizing the motivation, the heart of why we utilize our gifts. Because if you don't have the right heart in using them, you can be prone to misusing them, which I'm going to get into in a little bit, because we have to go into the dangers and the errors in the use of spiritual gifts, which I'll get to in a little bit. But first, this whole idea of love being the essential ingredient, the motivator, the chief motivator in our use of spiritual gifts. That's what that's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. And what he says is this, okay? And when we get down to verse 8, he says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Okay, so many, I've heard many people make the argument that when it's talking about completeness there, it's talking about the, the, the finishing of the canon of Scripture, okay? That when we got the Bible, that was completeness, and then the prophecies and everything um, stopped, okay? But that is not, that's clearly not what Paul means here, right? And if we just go on in verse 11, we can, we can see exactly what he means. He says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Okay, so that's when he's talking about completeness, that he's describing completeness. And what he's describing, I think it should be pretty obvious, he's describing when Jesus returns, Right? For he's saying, now we see only a reflection is in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Meaning we're going to see Jesus face to face. 
and now we know in part, but then we're going to know fully. All right. So this is talking about when Christ returns, then the gifts will cease. And the reason the gifts will cease is because the gifts are only a first fruit of the full powers of the age to come. What Paul's talking about is right now we only have a small percentage of the powers that we're going to have in the age to come. So that's why these prophecies will cease, because prophecies are communicating God's words, oftentimes in mysterious ways. There's a sense in which we're seeing through a glass dimly, right? But then when when Christ comes again, we're talking about the full restored state, okay? The new heavens and the new earth and all of that, right? Then we won't need prophecies because we'll be talking to the Lord face to face. All right, that's what Paul is describing here. And it says that that's when these things will cease. So they'll continue until we have, you know, until Christ returns. I think that's a very, very strong argument against the Satanists. I think there's more than that. Um, In 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, this is an extremely strong, logical argument for why the gifts continue today. Okay, what Paul was saying here is that, look, when I came, I didn't rely on having super persuasive um, rhetoric. Okay, I wasn't trying to like be, be the greatest speaker to persuade you because I understand if I do that, if I convince you to become a Christian because of my great rhetoric, then somebody else can come along and with great rhetoric persuade you not to become a Christian. Right? That's what he's talking about. I didn't rely on my persuasive words. What did I rely on? A demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, all right? Look, the logic here is not hard to see, and it's fairly undeniable, okay? Paul's saying we have to have a demonstration of the Spirit's power in the preaching of the gospel for it to be effective, all right? If we do not demonstrate the Lord's power, then what will happen is other people will come with fine-sounding arguments and will persuade many people right, to leave the faith. And if we're honest with ourselves, that is exactly what is going on today. That's exactly what is going on today. right? For so many people, they are being persuaded by arguments. Why? Because they were persuaded to believe in Christ through arguments. What Paul is saying is that seeing the power of God is essential for us having a robust faith. That what, that's what he's talking about, and I think that's what the scriptures are going to emphasize all over the place. Okay, They're going to emphasize this all over the place. Obviously, Jesus did many miracles. Obviously, all the apostles did many miracles. And there's nowhere in the scriptures where it, it talks about how you know, one day you know, you're not going to need this anymore you know, before Jesus comes back. You're not going to need this because we're going to have the Bible, and the Bible is going to be enough. There's nothing that says anything like that. Okay? doesn't say anything like that. And that is really a rationalization by people of why they don't see miracles in the power of God in their lives. And look, I understand. I understand. Because I've, I read the early chapters of Acts, and I go, God, I want to see your power like that. I don't see the power like that, okay? What I'm, what I'm not trying to do is blast, you know, every Christian in the Western world for not seeing the power of God you know, the ways that we want to see it, 
okay? What I'm getting at is that our temptation in these situations is to rationalize rather than understand what the Bible is actually trying to communicate and being honest with that, okay? I think the Bible does give us some understanding of why we don't see as many miracles as we saw then. I think the scriptures do talk about these types of things, and specifically they talk about outpourings of the Spirit, what we call revival, okay? And there's certain conditions for outpourings of the Spirit, all right? So, you know, I'm, I, if I get into that, we're, this podcast episode is going to be super, super long. So I'm going to stop there with that, but I'm simply going to say this. The argument for continuationism is very strong, biblically speaking, and if continuationism is right, then to be obedient to the scriptures, we must eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and we must honor those in the body who are gifted differently than us, meaning their spiritual gifts. Okay, we must honor their gifts. And the parts of the body are different on purpose because they bring different things to the table. So this is why the scriptures say it's important. Now, reason number two, why are spiritual gifts important? Because practically speaking, in my ministry life, I can tell you that it is one of the most useful tools that I have in my ministry arsenal, okay? And to be clear, I don't consider myself, like, super gifted in supernatural ways, okay? I'm, I don't think of myself in a, as an apostle. Um, I do believe that there are many other people in the body of Christ that see many more miracles out of their ministry than me, okay? My miraculous power is pretty small and limited and weak <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. So hear me, I'm not trying to hype myself up. I'm just saying the little power that I can exhibit is so important to my ministry. I don't know how to do ministry effectively without spiritual gifts, okay? I don't. I don't know how to do it effectively without spiritual gifts, all right? And look, I'm gifted, you know, this is gonna be hard because I'm, I'm really not trying to brag here, okay? But look, when it comes to, you know, ministry, I can do a lot of aspects of ministry fairly well, right? Like I can lead worship fairly well. I can preach, you know, I can, you know, exegete scripture. I can teach Bible studies. I can lead prayer meetings. Uh, you know, I, uh, hear me. I'm not trying to hype myself up. All I'm simply trying to say is I can do a lot of these ministry things um, fairly well, you know, and clearly there's people that can do them better. But my point is, if I just do those things and I don't do spiritual gifts, in my experience, I won't be able to to really have a thriving ministry. This is just in my experience, okay? And look, it's 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 probably because I'm not as gifted in a lot of those things like other people are, right? Like if I was like, you know, Phil Wickham in terms of my worship leading, I probably would be able to because that guy's super gifted, right? If I was like John Piper in my preaching, then I probably would be able to, okay? So I'm not trying to say that, you know, people don't bear real fruit with other gifts. I'm just simply trying to say that even with my very small limited spiritual gifts and using them, I find that the fruit from those spiritual gifts is incredible even though I'm, I consider myself pretty weak at it. What I'm saying is that I think these gifts are actually so powerful for ministry. I think they're so powerful. And um, and that makes sense, biblically. Because that's exactly what Paul's saying again in 1 Corinthians 14. He's saying we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And then he highlights one in particular, which is prophecy. Okay, In my experience, prophecy has been the most fruitful ministry that I have done. I feel like it has been, 
Okay, I feel like prophecy has been the most fruitful ministry I've done. And to be clear, I don't consider myself super prophetic. Okay, like I do believe that um, God uses me in prophetic ministry, but I've known many other people who I would consider far more gifted in this area. Okay, and yet in this area, I have seen such incredible fruit. Okay, it's so powerful. All right, I had a student recently say to me that we were prophesying over them. It felt like we knew them, and um, and that's the beauty of it. And it's the, it's why I love prophecy. I love it so much, because it's not that I knew them; it's that God knew him. Right? It's that God. It what prophecy does is it imparts such a revelation of the reality of how God really does love us. You know, like it's such a beautiful thing when somebody realizes. Because for so many people in the body of Christ, they they don't know how to hear the voice of the Lord. They don't they don't hear him. And so they're always filled with fear about what he really thinks about them and is he really disappointed and all this kind of stuff. And when you really hear the voice of the Lord in a powerful way and it's intimate, it's not just some generic, you know, God says he loves you or something like that, but it's something intimate. It's something that really feels like he knows me, right? He knows my dreams and my desires and he knows like what I've been struggling with and what I've been afraid of and all my anxieties he knows and yet the word of the Lord comes and it's so comforting and it's so encouraging sorry I'm kidding like I don't like it when I get emotional like literally talking to myself you know in a room there's nobody else here I'm getting emotional talking about this stuff but it's so powerful and, and I say that, you know, because I've had a number of those experiences where the word of the Lord left me in tears and just feeling so thankful that that God hears me. He really hears me. He really hears my prayers and he really knows what I'm going through. And he loves me enough to actually speak through this person who's ministering to me, right? And there's something that's so incredible about that, and I love it. I love real prophecy, okay? I love it, and in my experience, it's so powerful when 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 it's real, okay? It's so powerful, and it's my desire. I wish every believer could have so many experiences like that, and I, to be clear, I do think there's a danger in, in an over-reliance on prophetic revelation. I'm not saying that I think you know, we should have prophecies every day or something like that. I'm just saying I wish every believer had these these encounters with God where they really heard his voice and it filled them with such comfort and encouragement, like courage to obey him, courage to go after him, courage to put his kingdom first, okay? And um, that's, I think, what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about we, this is why we should eagerly desire prophecy because it edifies the body, all right? It's so important to the church. And look, it, it grieves me that there's not more healthy prophecy out there. It really does. And that's just one gift. There's so many gifts. There's so many gifts. And I, I should, at this point, I really should provide, you know, what my perspective, I think the body of Christ is so immature, all right? If... If we're talking about like the the age of the body of Christ, I would say we're like teenagers, <laughs> like maybe like a twelve year old, something like that. Like compared to you know like a mature fifty year old, where the body of Christ to me is like a twelve year old. We're not like total infants. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we are still like maybe we're still infants. Um, 
but if I had to guess, like 12, and my only point there is like, you know, I have a 12-year-old son who's amazing, phenomenal, but he's 12. I still get frustrated, <laughs> you know, the dad when I expect him, you know, to know how to do things and he doesn't know how to do them. And I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right, he's 12. And that's the way that personally I see the body of Christ, okay? We're so immature at so many different things. And, um, and I think the Lord understands that, but I think we we need to have that paradigm if we're going to understand why there's so much immaturity when it comes to spiritual gifts, okay? Like I said, most of the body of Christ, or at least half or a large percentage of the body of Christ here in America, don't even believe in spiritual gifts or practice them at all. They don't even try, right? Like, that's that's incredibly immature. And, and, and then the ones that do, <laughs> well, there's a whole lot of immaturity in the way that we use them. And, um, and and I'm not saying that as somebody who, you know, like I'm the mature one and other people, no, we are immature at this. Okay, we are bad at this. And I think that that paradigm is really important because when we go into, you know, some of the, the criticisms that are out there, and it, it just grieves me so much, all right? And I here's where I want to talk about Bethel, okay? Because I actually really love Bethel. I really love that ministry. Bill Johnson, I really appreciate him. And Chris Valentin and a number of you know people that are there, I really do. And I should give a little bit of um, Chris helped mentor um, me and a couple a handful of other people when you know when we were young. I was like 22, 23, something like that, and we started um, a church up in Berkeley. And um, um, Chris had felt like the Lord told him that a group from Berkeley was going to come and that He was to help them out. And so we didn't know what we were doing. We felt like the Lord told us to plant a church. I was like 23. None of us had real theological degrees or anything. And we were just trying to be obedient to the Lord. And Chris helped us, you know, just a couple months. You know, he worked with us. And I appreciate them. I really do. Like, I feel like there's genuine faith there. There's genuine faith. And not just that. Um, I feel like there's real maturity. I think they're they're very mature believers, generally speaking. Okay? And again in the context of where the whole body of Christ is very immature, right? Like, for immature people, they're some of the more mature ones. That's my perspective, okay? And they Bethel has been taking so much flack over the past, you know, five years especially. It's just like, especially like the cessationists and, you know, the hardcore reform community, they have really just opened up on Bethel. And um, they've just been taking aim and taking shots at them over and over and over again. And to be clear, I actually agree with a lot of the criticisms, okay? I agree with a number of the criticisms that have been levied against Bethel. And I'll, I'll get into a couple of those. Mike Winger, who I think is a phenomenal Bible teacher on YouTube. I think he's really, really good. Mike Winger um, has recently released a video. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a good, good part of it. And a number of the criticisms that he launches, I would agree with, okay? I would agree with. Let me just point out a couple. Number one, kind of like a general hype like calling things prophecy that are not prophecy. And um, in particular, you know, Mike Winger and others really take aim at how Bethel trains prophecy and what the way that they train prophecy is to utilize your imagination, right? So you ask God to come and then you believe that whatever he puts into your imagination is from God and you prophesy it like it's from God. And that's how they teach people to prophesy and obviously, a lot of what is called prophecy is not prophecy. And I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that, okay? Um, in my opinion, when I'm receiving prayer and people are prophesying over me, if I had to put a number on what's actually prophetic, 
I don't know, 20%, if I had to put a number on it. And yeah, that seems pretty bad, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like if you're calling 80% of prophetic words false prophecy, right? That sounds pretty bad. Here's here's my defense of Bethel and why I still think prophecy is important. Because of the 20%. <laughs> because we're getting 20% of the actual word of God from my perspective, right? What God is actually trying to communicate to us. Look, if, if there are groups out there that get a much higher percentage of true prophecy, and not even like they get more true prophecy, then I would absolutely say, let's do it more like that. And like I said, this is actually a real criticism that I have of Bethel, um, which is that we need to be clear that when we talk about God speaking to your imagination, we have to recognize that other things can come into our imagination too. It's not all God. And I think that's where I would levy my own criticism is I teach that God can speak to our imagination. So if we ask him to speak to our imagination, then what we do is we start paying attention to our imagination. Is God speaking to me, right? And then what we should do is take what we're getting in our imagination and test it and see if it's really from God. And what what I don't think you should do is assume that everything you're getting is from God. And that's where I think it gets bad, right? That's where I think, you know, error happens, danger happens. But the training technique as a whole, where you're asking God to speak to your imagination, I find that very effective. I think that is an effective way of helping people to hear from God. To be clear, I don't think that's the only way. I think that's one way out of many different ways that God can speak, right? And to be clear, when I was more in contact with Bethel people, I never heard that everything you get in your imagination is from God. I mean, that's some of the the criticisms that's been levied that they're teaching that. And I don't know, maybe some of them are, and maybe maybe they've changed and now that's that's what they're teaching, right? Everything you get in your imagination is from God and prophesied. I kind of doubt it though. I kind of doubt it. Because again, I think just a lot of the accusation against them I've heard is not really trying to be fair to them, okay? So I would simply say this, the teaching that everything you get in your imagination is from God and you know you don't need to test or anything like that, I think that's a wrong teaching, okay? And to whatever degree that's true, that is, that's a valid criticism, right? Um, number two, criticism, um, just hyping in general, right? Like, you know, I don't, I don't like hype, generally speaking. I don't like it when it, all right, we're going to pray for your headache. All right, did your headache get healed when we pray for you? And it's like, well, it was at 80%, now it's at 60%. And it's like, yes, <laughs> God healed him, <laughs> right? And, and then we're going to go put it on Instagram. We prayed for a guy and God healed his headache. <laughs> you know? And I don't like that. Like, But at the same time, I understand why they do that. The reason they do that is because what they're really trying to train people to do is to focus on what God is or might be doing, right? And so if, let's say hypothetically, God really did I don't know, give like the smallest drop of healing ever and take that headache from 80% to 60%. Let's just hypothetically that that actually was God healing. What then it would be appropriate to thank him and to honor him. Like I, I, that's their heart. And the idea there is that if you focus on what God's doing and celebrate and honor it, then what happens is your faith will grow. And as your faith grows there, you'll actually be able to see more power of God released. And I actually think that is a true principle, right? There is a principle where our faith is tied to God moving in miraculous ways, right? So I understand why they do that. I just think it really can get 
way too much into the realm of hype. Like that's the danger of doing stuff like that, right? Is you start to claim that God's doing a lot of stuff that he's not actually doing. And what that can lead to is jadedness where people are like, come on, you're essentially lying. You're essentially lying when you say God healed somebody's headache because he, because that person said that it was 80% and then it went to 60%. Like that seems like a lie. And to be fair, I think it is kind of a lie. I think that's the problem with hype, right? You're you're not really being honest about stuff and you're hyping stuff up in a way that is going to lead lots of people to be disillusioned. And I think that's exactly what happens with a lot of people in the charismatic movement because this isn't just Bethel doing this. This is a lot of, of Pentecostal charismatic churches where they're claiming that God is moving in ways that he's not moving. Okay, that's hype. I don't like it, all right? I don't like it when we're lining up for prayer and people are doing courtesy falls. I don't know if you, you're familiar with that, but courtesy falls are where people people are praying for somebody and then maybe somebody's falling because of the power of God, but then it comes to you and you're like, well, everybody else is falling. I'm just going to give a courtesy fall. <laughs> I'm just going to fall because maybe God will touch me if I fall and you know, I don't want to embarrass the, the, the person who's praying for me and stuff like that. I don't like any of that stuff. We don't need the courtesy fall in my opinion. Like, don't fall. <laughs> Why? A lot of that has way more to do with us trying to impress people or or fit in or that kind of stuff. It's all fear of man stuff, all right? In my opinion, we don't need to do any of that. It's okay if God doesn't touch you in a way that makes you fall. It doesn't mean it doesn't love you, all right? It doesn't mean like there's some great sin in your life. It doesn't mean that the pastor who's ministering over you is not powerful in some ways. You know, like, all of that is so, like, it's it's theatrics, okay? And I don't like it, all right? And I don't think it's healthy. So I think we should we should reduce hype. And again, to be clear, if God really does a miracle, even if it's a small miracle, I do think we should celebrate it. But I just don't think we should be purposely trying to lean on the side of faith, like to call things miracles that aren't. No, like, let's analyze it accurately. And be like, was this a real miracle? Right, and if you're not sure if it was, you could say that. Hey, like this guy had a headache and he doesn't anymore. I'm not sure if that was because we prayed for him and God moved, but it could be. <laughs> like, I would prefer that. I would just prefer some honesty. You know, <laughs> like honesty is good. It. I don't think we're underselling God. You know, if we're not sure if God did something, or if we're not sure God's saying something, that's fine. And it works the same with prophecy. Like, when I'm training people in prophecy, what I what I teach them to do is to, you know, try and hear from the Lord and then try and communicate it with the understanding that right now you don't know whether it's God, all right? And so you're just trying to speak out in the hopes that it is God, and then we're going to test the word, all right? And then we're going to test the word. And it's okay if it's not God, Right? So it's okay to use the language, hey, I feel like this might be what the Lord's saying to you. That's fine. Like, that's good. That's healthy, right? And the truth is, as you grow in prophetic ministry, you can kind of tell more, like, when there's a real unction of the Spirit, right? You can tell more when it feels like it's really the Lord moving. But even still, there always has to be humility that you can miss here, and the words always have to be tested, okay? So you can't ever be like, oh, you know, God said this to me, and I I know it's the Lord, and I know I didn't miss here, and I'm not going to ask anybody for advice or, you know, to test it or anything like that. Like, no, that's not healthy. But at the same time, I understand why people get like that. 
because you have so many people in the body of Christ that are are skeptical or cynical or they don't believe in the gifts or all this kind of stuff. Like meaning we're we're all really immature. So I understand when people feel like they have to stand on what they felt like they heard from the Lord because other people aren't going to acknowledge that it's really from God. And if it really is and you disobey it, then you're the one in trouble, right? Like you you remember that story in the Bible of the the prophet who gave a message, I believe it was to one of the king, to like a king, and then another prophet comes along, <laughs> and that prophet says, hey, the Lord told me that you're supposed to, you know, stay and eat with me and talk with me and stuff like that, and and that prophet's like, oh, no, like, God told me don't eat anything and just return. He's like, no, 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 don't worry, the Lord spoke to me and said it's okay, and so, you know, the first prophet he says, oh, well, this more, this older, more established prophet said the Lord spoke to him and, 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 and canceled the last word, you know, so, and so he does that and he dies, right, like, like, I, that, it's a disturbing story, like, I encourage you to, to, to read that story because it's kind of disturbing, but that's what happens, like, if you really hear from the Lord, if God really does speak to you and other people say, no, nope, that wasn't God, and you believe them, then you're guilty of disobeying the Lord, that's how this works, right? So there's there's both sides of the story here, right? There's one side where we have to be obedient to the Lord, even if other people tell us it's not the Lord and it's not wise, right? And at the same time, we're, we're, we're told that we need to test the word, right? And that we should be listening to other members of the body of Christ to help us discern. So it, it's hard. It can be hard you know, to live within those right boundaries and to do both of those things, to carry both of those principles in our hearts. But I understand why some people lean more to one side and and some more to the other side. Like, it's difficult. This is hard, okay? This is hard. So, again, like, I understand why ministries do hype. They're trying to drum up faith. That's what they're trying to do. And look, as somebody who is like, personally, I don't know if I've ever miraculously healed somebody. I prayed for a lot of people to be miraculously healed. I don't know if I've ever actually succeeded, <laughs> just being honest, like in my personal prayers, right? I definitely do not consider myself to have a gift of healing. Lots of people who function in healing, I tend to see them really do the hype thing. Lots of them do it, right? And and I know why, because they're trying to stir up faith, right? If they could stir up faith, you know, then then we'll start seeing more obvious healings. That's the idea. So a lot of times when you're starting a healing session or something like that, a lot of those people are like, hey, that guy whose headache went from 80% to 60%, we just saw healing, everybody. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. You know, yes, God's healing. (laughs) And what they're hoping for is that as people's faith rises up for healing, they start to believe that God can actually, might really start healing some people right now. He could really heal me right now. That faith actually starts to release real power. And so, you know, if you hype the first one, you know, there's more good than than harm. <laughs> I think I think that's the mentality. Now, I want to be again, this is not my area of, of gifting. So, I'm just trying to be gracious towards what I think is going on here, all right? But at the same time, hype has its own real downsides. And I just think it's right when some of these people who are launching attacks at Bethel, when they're saying, "Hey, this is how hype has hurt people that I know, this is how hype has caused disillusionment, all this kind of stuff. We have to pay attention to those and recognize that the downsides are actually pretty down. You know, like it's not all good sides with hype, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of it is we're trying to impress people in the moment. Like it, it, you know, I say this as a minister, it's tough when you are taking a step of faith 
to, to have God move. And if God doesn't move, well, it looks kind of pathetic for you, doesn't it? <laughs> right? And this is true for all kinds of ministry, right? If you're an evangelist and you're taking an altar call, right? If you want to give your life to the Lord, you know, raise your hand right now. And nobody raises their hand. Well, what does that look like? Well, that mean that looks like you did a terrible job. Like you're a bad evangelist. That's what it looks like. <laughs> so, of course, there's like this pressure inside. I will got to make something happen, <laughs> right? Even if it's just, you know, then you start lowering the bar a little bit. Hey, if you just want to recommit your life to the Lord, you know, raise your hand. We start doing things because of the fear of man. And look, that is like a universal thing. It happens all over the place in all parts of the body of Christ, okay? It's not just the healing dudes, okay? It's happening all over the place. So I, I just want to, I just say that because I think the criticism can be real, but we should also have grace to understand why some of the stuff is happening. And we should be able to give grace for it, okay? Um, another criticism is like taking trips to heaven. All right, that's where you, you close your eyes, and I don't really get it, to be honest. I feel like I have done some of that stuff, you know, years and years ago where it's like, you know, we're going to imagine God with us, and then we're going to go. He's going to sh- take us to places and show us. And, and look, I think God can work through that. I, for sure. Why not? I think he he worked through so many different things, right? But I do think it's dangerous when we talk about it as though it's fact. Like, I went to heaven. I know I went to heaven. <laughs> you know, like, in the same way that Paul went to heaven when he's talking in, you know, 2 Corinthians. <laughs> I know a man, right, who once in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Like, we can't equate it with that, right? This is kind of a hype thing, too, where we're hyping it up. I think it's okay to be like, hey... You know, we did this exercise where I closed my eyes and I asked, you know, Jesus to take me somewhere. And man, it really encouraged me. You know, and I don't know if I went there. You know, I, I think it's probably better if we say not say that we went somewhere else. Although I understand what they mean. They mean in the spirit I went there. You know, like, you know, we can confuse people with that kind of language. And again, we don't want to assume that everything that happens in our imagination is for sure from the Lord. Like we have to test these things, right? And I think that's really the heart of the criticism here is that Bethel focuses more on trying to stir up faith and getting people to use spiritual gifts than it does on the testing part. And the things I understand, they're biased there. Because the way they see it is their job is to help get people using spiritual gifts. That's their job. And if they focus too much on the testing part, what that'll do is it'll discourage people. Because that's, look, other parts of the body, they're all testing and they're no encouraging to get people to use the gifts. Right? It's all testing. Right? When we look at a lot of these YouTube ministries, these heresy hunters, right? A lot of these guys, and to be clear, it's not all, but a lot of them, they, they, they're like the testers of the body of Christ. They're all about making sure you're not doing things wrong, but they're not helping anybody do it right. They don't know how to do it right. Right? And that's part of the problem here. It's like, like if I have a young leader in a group, and I'm like, hey, I want you to try to lead a Bible study this week. And, and they're like, no, I'm going to suck. What if, I, what if I teach something wrong? And what if I do all this stuff? And I'm like, hey, that, that could happen for all of us. And then you're going to have situations like the, the more I focus on trying to empower leaders, the more we're going to see bad stuff happening. We're going to see them teaching some crazy things sometimes, <laughs> right? We're going to see them doing some crazy things sometimes. And that's, that's the nature of it. I'm trying to empower them. So I'm trying to believe in them and get them to utilize gifts that they don't even really know that they have because as they start to use them, they, those gifts start to grow. And, and so you have to start, you have to be okay with some bad stuff happening in your ministry. And see, there are people on the other side of the spectrum that are like, no, the only people who can ever lead a Bible study are the people with, with master's degrees in theology. If you don't have a master's degree in theology, you cannot lead a Bible study. And I'm like, I don't agree with that position. 
Because in my opinion, having a master's degree in theology, you know, you could still teach a lot of crazy stuff, okay? A lot of wrong stuff, all right? And the whole point is we're trying to train people to use their gifts. If you're trying to train people to use their gifts, then you've got to be okay with the fact that they're going to misuse their gifts many times, right? That's going to happen. And that's Bethel's goal. Their goal is always to get people using their gifts, even if they're going to use it wrong sometimes. And I understand that, and I support that goal. I get what they're trying to do. And even though there are ways that they could grow, I I really take exception to when Mike Winger, who, again, I greatly respect, is telling people it's time to leave Bethel, it's time to get out of there. Honestly, when I heard that, it really grieved my heart. It really grieved my heart. Mike Winger is is a continuationist. What about all the cessationist churches? Are you going to tell them, leave your church? Right, because they have major error. In my opinion, cessationism is major is is pretty major error. I'm not talking about major doctrine in terms of its heresy. I don't think it's heresy. Okay, but yeah, they're teaching people to actively rebel against the clear commands of Scripture. Like, yeah, that's pretty bad, right? And just because it's a historic, you know, error, um, doesn't mean that it's any better in the sight of God. So all that I'm getting at here is that, from my perspective. If you look long enough at almost any church or ministry, you're going to find weaknesses, you're going to find errors, you're going to find things that are going on that really need correction. It happens in almost in every ministry, right? So Bethel is Bethel is huge, and their influence is huge. So I get why a lot of people are going to focus on them versus other churches. But what I'm saying is that if we're going to be that harsh towards Bethel, man, there's a lot of people that need to leave their churches then. If we could really get an inside look at what's going on at so many churches and ministries, that we're going to have to tell everybody to leave if we, once we see their errors. And that's my point. I think we need to be far more gracious. We need to be far more gracious, okay? We have to recognize the good that they're doing, all right? And I and I say this, look, I think real spiritual abuse goes on all the time, all right, in, in lots of churches, all right? And I think it's terrible. I think it's terrible. But I really hesitate to say everybody needs to get out of that church or that ministry, I really hesitate there because we're really broken as a church. We're really immature. And the truth is you can have leaders that are abusive in some ways and they're doing good ministry also at the same time. I know that's really hard to wrap our minds around, right? But I think it's the same idea of what David had to go through with Saul, right? Saul was in many ways a good leader, right? And he started doing abusive stuff. And um, and he wasn't removed for a long time. He was doing a lot of abusive stuff by the time God finally removed him. There's a long period of grace there, right? Where I believe Saul had the opportunity to repent, to do it right. I think God tends to be very gracious with us because if he were to remove us, you know, as soon as we did something abusive, I think, man, <laughs> we wouldn't have functioning ministries. Like, they'd all be losing their leaders all the time, you know? And... That's just the unfortunate reality of how immature we are as a body. That's my perspective. All right. So I say all of that. Um, we need to be gracious. Bethel, the thing that I think they do really right is they really emphasize the spiritual gifts, how important they are, how much we need them. They really try to get their people utilizing and not just, you know, not just experiencing spiritual gifts, which is great, but also doing them themselves. They're one of the best at getting students to use spiritual gifts. And there's there's plenty of problems there, um, but that's my point. Other, other ministries are not getting their people using the spiritual gifts, which is a huge weakness in and of itself. And that's a huge p- problem in the body, right? 
um, it's not easy to get people to use spiritual gifts. Look, I, look, I say this as a pastor. I've been told, you know, by many other pastors, you know, that they don't want prophecy. We don't do prophecy, and they're not hardcore cessationists. Most of them are open to the idea. Like, yeah, there might be true prophecy out there. It's just that it's too dangerous, <laughs> right? Because they've seen really harmful things that have happened when, you know, when you have prophetic people in the church. And I get that. I totally get that. I've seen the same type of thing. And the problem is that we don't have the wisdom yet on how to rightly steward the gifts. If we if we as a body had the wisdom on how to rightly steward them, then we wouldn't have any abuses. Then all the gifts would be operating in a really healthy manner. But I understand when you as a leader don't have that wisdom, you don't know what to do with that prophetic person, right? That person who clearly is getting some special knowledge about people, but when but then they tear people down and they discourage them and they wound them, right, with their words and stuff like that. It's really, it's really damaging. I get it. And they don't know how to steward that. They don't know what to do with that person. What do you do with a prophetic person who, um, let me spend a little bit of time on this because this is really relevant. Like I, I once had a friend who, um, extremely prophetic, Okay, extremely prophetic, but man, she would she would rebuke me, and the the rebukes were so devastating. They were so painful, because in some ways she might have been picking up on some real things, you know. But that's that's like the most dangerous thing when when somebody has special knowledge of your weaknesses, and and then they use it to tear you down. Like that is it's so painful. And I remember I was so hurt and discouraged by some of the the rebukes she gave me. And, um, you know, after seeking the Lord and and counsel from other spiritual mentors and stuff like that, I realized, oh, the issue is that she doesn't have the maturity on how to correct somebody in the right way. And so what I told her is I said, hey, I, I love you as a friend, but you're not allowed to rebuke me anymore. I'm not receiving any more correction from you, okay? And I told her, if you have a correction you can give it to this mentor of mine, okay? And she can pass it along to me if she feels like it's wise. And what I, I had to set that boundary because if I just let that friend continue to, to <laughs> lob nuclear bombs at my heart, <laughs> right? Like I wouldn't have wanted to follow Jesus anymore. <laughs> like that is so painful. And, um, and I get that. I had to learn some of that wisdom through going through some of the abuse that happens in these situations. And so I get why people get really hurt with some of this stuff. Um, but the answer is not to get rid of it. That's the, in fact, that's the one thing that scripture says we are forbidden from doing. That's the solution we cannot seek after, right? Because then we're in, in direct disobedience to the scriptures. We are not to despise prophecies. In fact, we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and especially prophecy, because the potential of that gift is so powerful, so important to the body, right, that we're to be seeking after it. And this is actually a command. This is something that all churches should be praying for for prophecy, right? Should be seeking after it, should be trying to practice, right? Should be seeking out people like the Bethel leaders and being like, hey, how can we see more prophecy? Would you come in and help us do it? That's what I think all churches should be doing. And but we're not because of our, you know, because we look at the Bethel leaders and like, man, they have all these weaknesses and they teach some bad theology and some bad doctrine here that I disagree with. And these other ones, they, you know, they have these problems and these other ones are not careful with their money. And it's like, this is how division the body is. It's like we perceptive enough to see the weaknesses in other parts of the body. And, and, 
that's of course that's how it's going to work, right? If if you are the nose of the body, going back to Paul's you know metaphor in First Corinthians chapter twelve, if you represent the nose, well, of course you can look around at almost any other part of the body and be like, dude, those guys can't smell worth jack. <laughs> those guys are terrible at smelling, and smelling is so important, right? Man, it is incredibly important, and they can't do it at all. Dude, are these guys even Christian? I don't know, borderline. <laughs> and it's like, no, stupid. <laughs> You're the one who has been particularly gifted in that area to impart your grace to others. But if you if you look at them and go like, dude, I don't even know if you're a real Christian because of your lack of smell and all this kind of stuff, are they going to receive your gift? Of course not. They're not going to receive, they're not going to want anything from you. And that's how we are as the body. When we look at Bethel, you know, who for the sake of this, you know, analogy is maybe the eyes or the ears or something like that. I don't know. This, you know, this is not perfect, right? And we go, ah, dude, we don't even really need that prophecy stuff. That's too dangerous. Like they're all, all those charismatics are weird or something like that. You know, man, then we're doing exactly what the scriptures are telling us not to do, right? We're doing exactly that. No, look, in my opinion, we need Bethel and to be clear, we need teachers too. And it's a lot of the teachers on YouTube that are lobbying all of these accusations. All right, guys like Mike Winger, who, again, I love, okay? 90, I, I agree with 90% probably of what that guy says on YouTube. Phenomenal teacher. And there's so many other really great ones, okay? There's great teachers out there, but the danger for teachers is that they tend to see bad teaching, bad doctrine, bad theology, and then they just pile on. You know, and then they go, oh my gosh, their teaching is so bad, their their theology, their doctrine is so bad, like, maybe you should leave that church. And it's like, well, what are, the, what are the good that they're doing? What's the good that they're doing, right? And we've got to honor the good while lovingly and graciously critiquing the bad. From what I know of the Bethel leaders, I think they're open to receiving correction. I do. Now, I'm not saying they're open to receiving this correction, like the hype one. I don't, I don't know. Like, maybe they've got to see uh, testimonies and stories from people who have been hurt personally for them to come to a place where they realize, you know, maybe we can find a better way of how to stir up faith. And again, I don't even know if that accusation is, is accurate for their leadership. I don't, okay? Like, I think there is some truth in it. <laughs> I do. I think there's some truth in it. I just, I just want to err on the side of being gracious to believers. I really do. I want to err on the side of being gracious. Because if we need one thing more than anything else, we have to have unity in the body of Christ. We have to have unity because we need his grace. We need God's grace. And I'm just going to finish and close with this because this is, the problem is when we don't have a value for the spiritual gifts, then what starts to happen is it, it becomes all about manpower, right? What we need is we need more money. We need better theology, we need more leadership in the churches, we need, you know, like all the stuff that men can give, right? We become focused on that. And I just want to say that path is a dead end. That path is a dead end. We don't need more manpower. We need more God power. We need more God power. And there are certain criteria that the Lord requires to release God power. And the reason why we don't see as much God power in our churches, in our ministries, as we would like to see is because of the lack of unity and the lack of holiness, right? I, I don't want to say it's just those two things, but those are the two things that really stand out to me in terms of my study of scripture 
and you know my heart burden from the Lord. And I don't know if I have that all figured out. You know, maybe there's other people that know better than I do on this. But I'm just convicted. Like these are the things that we have to focus on. How can we grow in unity? How can we grow in holiness? Right? If we will focus on these things, I think the Lord will pour out His Spirit again. And man all the ways that we've been losing our culture, losing the next generation, seeing the greatest backsliding in our nation's history can be reversed in an instant. In one outpouring of the Spirit, one great outpouring of the Spirit, we can erase decades right, of, of relative failure. And I, I just believe that that is possible. I believe that's what the Scriptures say. That's what they demonstrate again and again and again. We need targeted understanding of what God is really desiring from the church, okay? And um, and I look, I believe unity is right at the heart of all of this right now. Okay, sorry to belabor that point, but that's how important I think it is. All right, God bless.